Hey, thanks for tuning in to a Sunday service. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. We are in a series of messages since Mother's Day, and we'll continue through to Father's Day on wholesome families. Wholesome families. I, I don't know too many people in their right minds, I, I like to preface it by saying that, that, that are in their right minds who don't desire a wholesome family. A wholesome family, it, it just reworded just a little bit, is one of our core values as a church, healthy families. We desire for there to be healthy relationships within the individual family units because we know that whenever there is healthy families and relationships within those individual family units, when we come together, there is healthiness, soundness, wholesomeness within the fellowship of the church. And so individually, we want to be able to minister to you in your marriages. That's the reason we have marriage conferences like we did this past time. Or we invest in families and give opportunity for families to, to do missions together and ministry together and worship together. And each part of that family makeup be ministered to on the level in which they can receive ministry. And so wholesome families is a big deal for us. The reason it's a big deal for us is because we believe it's a, a big deal for God and his word. He teaches us. That he is focused on the family, that he has a big heart for husbands and wives and parents and children and guardians and grandparents and grandchildren, all of that. God has a hopeful eye toward the family. And so that's the reason we invest so much. The longest series of messages that we do here at Embrace is the idea of families from Mother's Day to Father's Day. And so far we've talked about Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, how God wanted it originally and how God had a master plan for the family and how that, that very plan can still be implemented in your family to at least a certain degree. And then last week we talked about how you really want it. We saw how God wanted it originally in Genesis 1 and 2, but also in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 1, how you really want it and how you really want it and how I really want it is, is for my family to be a family that rests in peace. Not peace just for any, any occasion, but peace because the Prince of Peace, Jesus, is ruling and reigning in our individual hearts, but also ruling and reigning over, over our home. And so it's not some strange thing that, 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 that the enemy is against the family because of the power the family has in culture. And so obviously, you guys know this, anytime we get into this series of messages or have this thought or express this value as a people of God, the enemy gets irritated. We are going into enemy territory and he don't like it when we go into his territory, but we're going to take what the enemy has stolen when it regards to our families. And so we saw how God wanted it. We see how you really want it, how I really want it. And today we're going to talk about how the enemy wants it. Now, you've got something to talk about when you leave church today. <laughs> you guys know what that was all about. Dora the Explorer, right? And so you've got different characters. We won't go over all of them, but the main character there is Dora. And then there was a 
Sly Fox who shows up throughout the program sometime or another. If you guys don't know what this is, ask your kids. If they don't know, ask your grandkids. I'm pretty sure people know about Dora the Explorer and Swiper, Swiper the, 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 one, the one who steals, right? I mean, he's, he's the one who, who, who tries to take what does not belong to him. And when I saw that cartoon for the first time and I saw Swiper come into the frame and I saw how Dora and the little monkey, you know what his name is? Boots, that's right. Boots, what do they have to do? They have to resist Swiper and they say to Swiper, say it with me, Swiper. Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you adults be YouTubing that after the kids go to sleep saying, I just need one more, one more show of Dora. <laughs> So swiper, no swiper. The fact of the matter is there is a swiper that is against your family. He is Satan and his desire is to destroy your family, to steal away your family. And guess what? You have the authority as a child of God to do. Resist the devil. Submit yourself unto God and resist the devil. And he will, just like that fox did, turn tail and run. I love the passage of scripture in Romans chapter 16 where it says, and soon he, Satan, will be under your feet. He is already a defeated foe. He has no victory from whence he fights from. Ever since before creation in the fall, it happened with him. As Jesus said, I saw him fall from heaven as lightning to the earth. From that moment, he's always been on a descent. He has nothing to mount himself upon. There's nothing he can call his own. He owns absolutely nothing. God owns it all. Therefore, he has no authority in your life, no authority in your family, no authority ruling over your marriage, no authority ruling over your parenting. He has no place. And so what you have the opportunity to do is to say to Satan, Satan, no swiping. I wonder if there's Christians here this morning who are willing to stand up against the work of the enemy and say, not here, not now. It ain't happening. If you got your Bible, slip over with me real quick to Nehemiah chapter 4. It's the verse that's going to kind of be our diving board verse in today's message. And it's just one verse plucked from a stream of thought here. And I'll give you some context and background as we go through it. But here Nehemiah is looking at the people of God, Israel, as they are busily at work they're, they're worried about there's two guys who were their enemies that are pointed, more than just that, but two guys that are pointed out in the passages that we'll read here in a little while. And, and they're threatening Israel to stop their work. And their work was ultimately to have a place to raise their families and to worship God. And I look and rose up and said unto the nobles and the rulers and all of the people, be not afraid of them, the enemy. You don't have to be afraid of the enemy. Let me, let me just pause right there completely aside from the message. You do not have to be afraid of the enemy. 365 times in the Bible, that's one per day. God uses in some phrase or another, do not be afraid. 
Do not fear. There's no reason for you to fear. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You don't have to be backpedaling in life. There's too many Christians who when trouble comes, they start backpedaling as though they're the ones that, 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 that are being attacked or are always having to be defensive. Yeah, yeah, there's times to where we're attacked, no doubt, but we're called as the church to go forward and not be backpedaling. And so this, this, is, this is what happens, y'all, y'all watch this. The reason that you and I backpedal spiritually in our life is because we have swapped fears placement. We fear Satan instead of having a fear and a reverence to God. We've misplaced a holy reverence, a worshipful reverence, a right aspect of fear. And we put it on the devil and we become afraid of what he can do and he can do nothing. Instead of fearing the Lord, he says, be not afraid of them. He says, remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. The word in the King James are awesome. And fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. Who this morning is ready to stand and fight? Huh? This was written in 445 B.C. There were some guys who were contemporary living around the same time frame. A lot, as a matter of fact, in the Old Testament that we really don't pair up together. Haggai was one of those. If you look, he's a minor prophet closer to the New Testament, just a couple of chapters. But he was living around the same time frame as these two powerful leaders, Nehemiah and Ezra. Nehemiah was given a specific duty by God to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. You see, right now they're in captivity. They're in slavery because of sin, of worshiping another God. God brought them into captivity to remind them that he is the only God that they should worship. And in the moments of that captivity, they repented of their sin. They began to cry out unto God and God answered as God always answers a broken hearted person crying out to him. What kind of sacrifice will God not turn away? A broken and a contrite heart. God's going to receive that. And so they begin to cry out to God and, and God says, okay, I'm going to restore my people in their place. And so God uses Nehemiah to, to build the walls. Why was it important that they have the walls around Jerusalem built? Is because it provided security for them. The, his contemporary, his, his partner in ministry, Ezra. Ezra was called to rebuild the temple. And as, as Nehemiah is helping rebuild the walls, then, then, then Ezra is rebuilding the temple for the sake of worship. You see, the temple was extremely important to the Jews in their worship. If they didn't have a temple, and they didn't have the, the elements that were inside of the temple to operate their religious duties. They couldn't make sacrifices and offerings to the Lord. And they couldn't get into the Holy of Holies to where God would be ministered to on the mercy seat of the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And there were so many details in that that they needed that for that moment. And, and so the people of God are insecure. And the people of God, because of their insecurity... They fear and they can't worship now. Why? Because they don't have anything to worship God with. Let me just say this. Don't let that be the condition of your family. Insecurity and without worship. 
And you say, Andy, how can, I, how can I get these right? Well, if you'll lead in with worship first, you'll realize that God is your strong tower. He is your help. He is your refuge. He's the one that when you call out in Him in the time of need, He will show up and provide for you the protection that you need. And so this is what is happening. Nehemiah is being used. He's one of the two powerful leaders. But then there were two poisonous leaders in this story as well. If you'll go back and you'll read or listen to this book. I've, I've actually listened to this book a couple of times while I've been working out or walking this past week and getting ready even this morning. Listen to this chapter three or four times through the YouVersion Bible app. If you go back and read it, you'll see that there's two very poisonous leaders. One is named Sanballat. He was a Samaritan official officer and then there was Tobiah he was an Ammonite servant if you if you want to write some verses down you can write down Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 10 Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 19 chapter 4 verse 7 and 8 chapter 4 verse 17 but I want to read just verse 10 of Nehemiah chapter 2 and when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant of the Ammonites heard of it what God was doing to the life of Nehemiah and Ezra it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel they heard what God was doing and how God was using this man Nehemiah and Ezra and it irritated them you see when you're home begins to serve the Lord, I think this is a, a lie that we believe. We believe that when we start doing the right thing, then everything else is going to be completely easy and okay. But when you start doing the right thing, it's when the enemy perks his ears up and turns his eyes to you and begins to fight against you. He is coming at you with all of the arsenal that he can possibly come at you with. And these two poisonous leaders, they represent the work of the enemy. One that is a, a bitter new enemy and one that is an old enemy, Tobiah, the Ammonites. And, and so what they're trying to do is stop the objective of the people of God here, Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah basically had two objectives from God in this, that they were to build the temple and they were to build the wall. And so in that, they had both a sword in their hand to protect themselves, and they had a trial in their hand to do the work. And so God is, God is speaking, and God is moving, and God is restoring. Some of you guys, your families are right now in disarray. Your families are heartbroken. Your families are hurt. Husbands are not being husbands and wives are not being wives and children are, are, are being rebellious. And you say, Andy, you just described not us. Well, praise the Lord if, if that's not us. If, if you don't have troubles in your marriage and if your kids are always obedient, praise the Lord, you're giving testimony next week. Right? Because I think all of us go through this to some extent or another. But the reason is, is because we're, we're, we're living, we're doing our best to live out this Christian life by obedience to God's word. And the enemy has taken note of that. And the enemy is coming against us with everything that he has. And again, all we have to do as God's people is take up the gifts that God has given us and the authority that God has given us and rebuke the devil and the devil will flee. So this morning, I want to spend some time, what time I have left, thinking through these three means to obliterate the enemy's effort. 
Three means to obliterate the enemy's efforts against you. Again, if you go back and you read chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, you'll see each one of these elements pointed out in the, in the, in the points that I want to share with you. First of all, the first thing that we've got to do to obliterate the effort of the enemy is to work. Work together for the Lord. I, I think that it's okay for me to share some of my personal testimony with Laurie. There have been times to where God has called her to do something. And I've been, mm, can I just be honest with you guys this morning? Can I be, can I be transparent? You going to judge me if I get transparent? God's called Laurie to do something. And I think to myself, well, I ain't got time for you to do what God's telling you to do. I got to do what God's telling me to do. And nobody, nobody else has ever been there, have you? God has created her uniquely on purpose for a specific thing. And, and sometimes if I'm not careful, I can look past her and to what I feel like I, I'm called to do. And if I'm just completely honest with you, I can get a little selfish and I can, I can blame Jesus for something that he really didn't tell me to do. It's good. It's not wrong. And I'm going to do it just because I want to do it. Anybody there? To where you get selfish and... Just kind of do what you want to do instead of doing what you ought to do. And sometimes, even in a pastor's home, guys, in a pastor's home for 25 years, there's been times to where I have not worked with her. And, and there's been very few other times to where she hasn't worked with me, right? Yeah, she said, yeah. There's been times to where our kids haven't been on the same page with us and we haven't been on the same page with our kids. There's been times to where our kids have come to us and said, God said this, and we're like, are you crazy? So if we're going to be able to obliterate the work of the enemy, we've got to do this, I think, first and foremost. Nehemiah is called as God's people together. Even in verse 6, it says that the people had a mind to, to work. They knew that there was a work to be done. Understand this. When a person comes to Jesus and is saved in that moment of the new birth, he has done everything and you have done absolutely nothing. You can do nothing to save yourself. If it was up to you to save yourself, it'd be up to you to keep yourself and you can do neither. It has to be only by the grace of God to do both. But once you are saved, you are called to live, to live a, a standard of following Jesus. We call that discipleship. And we as individual Christians are responsible with that on ourselves. But just to put this out there, if you are a man in this room and you are married and have children and you're raising those children and living in a home with your wife, and, and, and all, you are in a greater sense more responsible than anyone else in the home. I'm going to pick on dads before Father's Day gets here, okay? It, it is up to us as men to work and to lead the work of God in our homes. And so a lot of times I'll, I'll counsel with men and I'll ask men the question, where have you lately allowed the enemy into your relationships, in particular that of your home? 
How have, how have you lowered the wall? How have you opened the door? How have you let the enemy sneak in? Have you not been guarding? Have you not been watching? And I don't want to jump ahead of my points because I'm point talking about watching later on. But is it your goal and your desire not just to do the work that you're called to in being a follower of Jesus as a Christian, but leading your family in that same effort to worship Jesus together, that you pour into your wife the word of God and pray over your wife and that you encourage your children and you lift them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Have you been doing the work? Jesus, Jesus put a real plain that when you begin to follow him, you're saved at the new birth, but discipleship cost. As a matter of fact, he said of discipleship in Luke chapter 14 that we are to count the cost of discipleship. What man who would go to war wouldn't count his soldiers against the soldiers that he's going to fight and see if he's got enough soldiers to win the war? Or what man who's building a building wouldn't first count the cost of how much it's going to cost to build the building lest he lay the foundation and have not enough money to finish? He says, count the cost of following me because it's going to cost you. And men in particular, this this morning, I want you to be aware of the fact that it's going to cost you an awful lot. You are called as the one to leave the work, but also you're the one that's called to give the sacrifice. To give the sacrifice. What are you doing, man, husband? You say, well, Andy, I'm, I'm, I'm not married right now. I, I, Maybe, maybe you're a, a, a woman in the home and you're doing your very best to raise kids and there's the absence of a man in the home. Then I would say to you as well, what are you doing right now in the leadership and in the raising of your home to lead your family in the work that is the work together? It is a cost and it takes time. What I'm afraid a lot of us don't seem to have, at least in our thought process, enough of is time. Let, let me, I know this for, for iPhone owners. How many of you guys have an iPhone? Raise your hand if you've got an iPhone. Do me a favor later on. If, if your phone has this feature, most iPhones, I believe, do. And I think maybe Androids have this feature as well. There is a little time calculator on your phone that will give you how much time you have spent on social medias, YouTube, texting, calling. You know, sometimes that's our work. We text and we call and we got we to use those means of communication. I get that. But you go through and you look and see how much you're spending. Years ago when I had Facebook, it alarmed me one time when my phone gave me, a, gave me an update and told me how long I was on Facebook. Good night, man. I could have built the Eiffel Tower in that amount of time. Right? You, you really have more time than what you think you have time. You see, the value of your time is expressed on how much time you're spending on certain things. You value those things that you're investing the majority of your time. If Facebook is it or social media is it or watching television is it or, or taking naps or, or whatever. And I'm not against taking naps, by the way. Amen. Sometimes you just need one. But if that's taking away time from the work you're really called to do, then... There's no work being done, therefore the enemy can stand up. And when the enemy speaks and says, all oh, their work is like a, like a little wall. Tobias said this in chapter 4, that even if a fox would climb up the wall, it would tear down the wall. 
We have, to, we have to be people who join together as families to work together. And it takes time to, to build that work. It takes prayer times and devotion times and worship times and all of those kind of things so that we can stand up with a guy named, named Joshua. You guys probably remember this. And I've done my best to hold back from using this verse because I feel like we use this verse every single year. But, but Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. We're going to use it again. I won't preach an entire message from it, but... It says, and if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods, uh, whether the gods which were your father served before the flood on the other side of the river, uh, or the gods of the Amorites whose land in which you dwell. But then Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will work for the Lord. We will worship the Lord. That's the idea of we will serve. It's, it's not an idea of showing up and making coffee only on Sundays. It's not about building prep after church on, on Sundays, but, but it's intentionally every single day. We are together in this matter. We are on the same page. Sometimes we wave off into the margins of the page, but we get back together and we're going to work together. How do we know how to work together unless we're communicating with one another? So, Prayer time and devotion time and worship time and all these things have to be protected. Our time has to be protected. But communication is vital inside of a family unit to know what even page we're on. I hope and pray that this message is convicting you guys as much as it's convicting me. But let me ask this question. When is the last meaningful conversation you had as a parent with your children? to where you sat down with your child, pupil to pupil, and had a, I'm not talking about spending 15 minutes on the conversation of memes. Some of you are like, what in the world is a meme? You don't have teenagers if you don't know what a meme is. Right? But spending pupil to pupil conversation with your children, pouring into their life, the love of Christ, the word of God, prayer, giving them life, encouraging them to do great things for God, working together. How can I help you, husband and wife? How can I help you do better at the things of God in your life? It takes work. But then we're going to realize that as we begin to work, it is obliterating the efforts of the enemy. But we'll realize as we're working and as we're going forward, we will be in enemy territory. Therefore, we will have to war together against the enemy. You see, that's... If you go back to chapter 4 in Nehemiah, there's several different verses that, see, even the helicopters, right? I think that's the second one that's come over. Yeah. There, there are several verses here in Nehemiah chapter 4 to where, to where they say, take up your swords, take up your breastplate. Take up, take up whatever, your spears, take up your, your bows and arrows, take up your weapons because... What you've got to realize, even though there is a wall to be built and there's work to be done, there is a war that has to be fought as well. I, I don't know about you, but this is what gets me. Sometimes life can be so good and things are just going so smoothly, I can forget that I'm actually in a war, that I'm actually a warrior that I'm actually one who is equipped with a sword to go out and fight 
against an enemy. Things can be a reprieve. There can be moments of to where there's nothing necessarily going on. But but I don't know about it. If you're like me, you, you experience life in this manner too, that it seems like all at once it happens. Right? Got to get four brand new tires for the car. Learned that while I was getting the oil change in it. Y'all done heard about my washing machine. Well, the dryer broke too. We was trying to heat some food up in a microwave and the magnetron broke, whatever that is. And that's just the physical things. And then this is happening and that's happening and I'm thinking this and I'm, and I'm feeling that. And, and all of a sudden, all these things began to weigh down. Oh, it seemed like all, to, all at once. And, and then it's almost like you're jolted back to reality that you're in war. It has the idea of the soldier who's been in the bush and he's been dodging bullets and slinging bullets and doing the very best he can to survive to get home. And then he makes it back to the barracks to where he's got at least a couple of days guarded to be refreshed. And he goes to sleep only to be awakened by sirens and bombs. Right? It reminds us that we're, we're in a war. We're fighting a, a battle and and this, this fight is, is difficult enough with, with, for one person, but, but just get this. How amazing would it be if the husband and wife were fighting beside each other in this battle or the children was with the parents fighting together in this battle and we didn't have to do this thing alone, but instead we could find ourselves back to back fighting for one another. So we, we've sung the songs about how to fight this fight, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Well, what, what do we mean when we say, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, but mighty instead? What, 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 kind, of, what kind of weapons of warfare do we have? Well, I've got a list of some that I could think of just in the preparation for this message. Obviously, prayer is one of our greatest weapons that we use. Husbands, when's the last time you prayed with your wife? Wife, when's the last time you prayed with your husbands? Parents, when's the last time you, you prayed over your children? Grandparents, when's the last time you took time to bless and put your hands over your grandchildren and, and pray for them? Prayer. Obedience is a, is a weapon to our warfare. As a matter of fact, if you'll go down to verse 6, you'll see that it says, revenging or avenging our disobedience with our obedience. Just simply obeying in a faithful manner. And, and, and being faithful is another weapon in which we can use as God's people against the enemy. And we can do this as a part of our warfare, being faithful. And, and this is something that God's really put on my heart lately. Faithfulness doesn't mean that you've done it two times in a row. I, I, think that, I think that we get excited and there's nothing wrong with getting excited or we may fall into this train of thought because, because of certain things. We like like version. version is a great Bible app. I use it all the time, but it irritates me when I open it. It says, you're on streak number three. You've opened your Bible app three days in a row. You know? And I get irritated because it said three instead of 3,000. And then I get prideful and I'm like, huh. Next time I'm gonna open, it's gonna say zero. 
<laughs> and, and, and let me say this, just because you open a Bible app 10 times in a row doesn't mean you've all of a sudden become faithful, right? Faithfulness is, is not defined in some street method. It's not defined, oh, I, I feel good about myself because I've done something two times in a row. But instead, faithfulness can only be defined. You listen to this. Faithfulness can only be defined at the conclusion of your life when you're giving your last breath and you're dying. And you still love Jesus and you're still faithful to Jesus. You say, Andy may be consistent. And I might want to say Andy is, is faithful in some things. But when you put me in the ground and I've still loved Jesus and preached Jesus with my last breath, then you can say, he was pretty faithful. Right? There's, there's more weapons of our warfare. It's, it's faith and, and it's fasting and it's, it's being in the word and not just being in the word for, for, for streak's sake, but reading it and studying it and memorizing and meditating on the word of God. Let the word of God get inside of us and worshiping and witnessing and encouraging. And the list goes on and on and on of all of the arsenal that God has given us to be able to fight the enemy, not just individually, but collectively together as a family. How great is it when we all come together and we all agree on that one thing and we all fight together. You see, spiritual warfare, the devil will work through two things. Sometimes we, we get a little drawn back by the work of the enemy and the, the, the warfare of the enemy and, 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 and we don't realize that the devil has actually used two things to get at me right now. One thing that the devil uses against you is your ignorance. The other thing the devil uses against you is your disobedience. Now, don't, don't get insulted when I said ignorance because I'm using it as defined correctly. Something that you have not known or could not know at the moment, right? He has used our ignorance to, to get to us at times, but, but what it totally uses more than that is, is our disobedience to get at us. When we have just been rebellious in our heart and when we know the right way and we choose the wrong way and, and, and so our disobedience all of a sudden becomes a cracked door for the enemy to cre creep through, Right? And so if we're, if we're not careful, we can drop that wall of defense and in this war, allow the devil to work through things. He works to at least those through, works through at least those two things, but also he works against your obedience. And, and so this is what I want to point out to you. If he's working through ignorance and through disobedience, but he's working against your obedience, I want you to realize he don't want to give you any rest. He don't want to give you any rest. He, he don't want you to, to be able to take any ease. Instead, he wants to constantly be against you and be against your family. He wants to attack the husband and discourage the husband. He wants to come as an enemy against the wife. He wants to discourage the children. This is the things that the devil is desiring to do. And so just to realize that, that we are in this war. But again, as 1 John chapter 4 verse says, you or of God's little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We, we work together as a family against the, the enemy's efforts. This is how we obliterate his, his efforts. We work together. We warfare together. But also we watch together. We watch together. I, I love this, these verses here in chapter 4. He talks about standing watch. 
and making sure that there are people who are standing watch so that the, the trumpet can be heard, so that the, the alarm would be sounded. And when the alarm is sounded, then everybody gets up with their weapons and they begin to, to, to work against the enemy. This, this watching. You see, a watchman is important. Without a watchman, Psalms chapter 127 says that the city is watched in vain unless the Lord watch it. This house is built in vain unless the Lord builds it. There's the, there's the importance of someone who is walking in discernment and wisdom over the family, with the family. Trying your best as the word of God gives you increase of knowledge and you are led by the spirit and you are involved in prayer that there is an awareness given to you even if it has to be in a supernatural manner to see things that are coming so that a defense can be raised. The, the problem with a lot of our families is we stay so busy and so disconnected that we're really not watching out for our family. We get so easily distracted with everything around us and we think those things are good and those things may not necessarily be evil or bad, but they're distracting enough to the point to where the enemy gets in and the enemy works. Can I just say this, guys? And I say this for my own sake, just like I would say it for anybody else. You don't have to be that busy. You don't have to be that busy. Uh, we, we've been on mission trips all over the world. We've been on mission trips in Peru and Nicaragua and, and Mexico and Kenya. And, and it kills me the pace that we keep up here compared to the pace that they have there. We went to Kenya, Africa, and, and we would walk into these villages and, and people would be out and they would be tilling the ground and they would see us come up. And you know what they would do? They wouldn't say, hey, I've got to finish this work. And instead of entertaining this guy, they would, they would lay down what they had. And they would come and they would sit and they would talk. And anytime you talk with a Kenyan in the bush, usually their voice, they don't raise it above this. It's very quiet. You're talking about a loudmouth redneck from Mississippi who screams most of what I say. And I'm sitting in a hut with this gentle Kenyan person. And they're responding to me in this kind of voice. And all of a sudden, me and Eli's, we're sitting on the couch with Jack, our translator, and Jack's the same way, and everybody's just kind of sitting there, and we're sharing the gospel, and the Holy Spirit reminds me in that moment, Andy, you take for granted a lot of opportunity because you think busyness is holiness, and busyness ain't holiness. You should tone down, <laughs> slow down, so that you can see more. What we were able to see on that mission trip and other mission trips like it were amazing to be able to watch together, to be able to experience life together, yes, but also to be able to watch out for what's coming together. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 6. Notice what this verse says, but if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. How important is it that we watch out for one another? How many of us have allowed the enemy to come in and swipe away? And us just not even pay attention enough to see that the enemy is coming in and swap, swiped away what was so precious in our family. 
if God wanted it, as he preached in Genesis chapter 1, and in, in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 1, if that's how we really want it, we've got to see also how the enemy wants it. And the enemy wants to destroy your work. He wants to be at war with you all the time, and he wants to blind you so that you cannot watch. So how do we obliterate that effort of the enemy, right? We've got to take up arms. We've got to go to war against the enemy for the sake of our family.